Hello and welcome to the Atalan Rising podcast. We're your hosts, Adam and Lynn, and in today's episode, we're going to be running through the next part of our epic War of Kings review. This time, it's part three, where we discuss the rise and fall of the Shi'ar Empire and Emperor Vulcan. How you doing, Lynn? It's it's Thanksgiving this week, right? It is. I'm uh, preparing to make Thanksgiving dinner for the first time for only two people with a 17.6 pound dinosaur that was gifted to me. <laughs> I've I've been whispering it encouraging words as it defrosts in the fridge, so my husband is anticipating the full Bob's Burgers Thanksgiving experience. I, I'm I'm just imagining at this point you sat around a table, uh, the two of you there, with just this enormous turkey in between you, <laughs> <laughs> because it, it, seventeen point six pounds is just crazy. It, it's massive. We were w- worried about the shelves in the fridge. <laughs> but luckily, I love turkey as much as Bob Belcher does. So it's not going to go to waste. I have not watched many episodes of Bob's Burgers. So I'm a little bit ignorant to the, uh, <laughs> to the references. Oh, it's so making. good. You need to watch Bob's Burgers. And, and speaking of which, the Emmy Award winning... Molly knows sisters who are writers on Bob's Burgers will be writing Deadpool three. I, I love the segue there. That was that was really that was really nicely done. Yeah, <laughs> yeah thank you. And I'm going to be so disappointed if Deadpool three doesn't have a musical number now. <laughs> oh, I'm, I'm 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 really happy that Deadpool three is happening because obviously with the Disney merger, it was just kind of like everything was up in the air. But Deadpool is one of the few on-screen characters I think has been just done so well. (laughs) Oh, and, you know, since you don't watch Bob's Burgers, it's kind of a musical. Not every episode has a musical number, but a lot of them do, and it just gets better as the show goes on. (laughs) I'll have to give that a go. Is it on, like, Netflix or Amazon Prime or anything like that? Or In the UK, you can get it on Amazon Prime. That's good because I've now got Amazon I think Prime. That's the only uh, way you can get it in the UK. Because I, I was suggested to go back and rewatch season six of uh, Agents of Shield, so I've got Amazon Prime ready to go. <laughs> but uh, after the episode last week, I'm just going to talk about TV shows. Uh, I did start watching The Mandalorian. Yay! And I was, I was, I was very into it. I thought it was a really good uh, opening episode. I only watched episode one of season one. Um, but as somebody who's not like a massive Star Wars fan, I'm not like, you know, particularly into it, which again, I'll say it again, is really kind of weird because I'm a massive sci-fi nerd, but whatever. But yeah, so I started watching it. I don't need any kind of prior, real prior knowledge to the, to the Star Wars universe. And I thought it was a really good, really good opening episode. Awesome. It's a shame that you got it staggered though to us because Baby Yoda was spoiled for you. Yeah, I, we we knew all about Baby Yoda like at least this time last year. So <laughs> I just uh, you know it's kind of like um, I was kind of like that meme, you know, the meme of uh, Leo DiCaprio pointing. Yeah, I think I think it's from <laughs> Wolf of Wall Street. I was like, that was me at the end of the first episode. I was like, it's the baby, it's the child. <laughs> it was it was really good. I, I did enjoy it, and uh, yeah, I'm looking forward to kind of catching up on that one now because I've got a friend who's a big Star Wars fan and he says that Mandalorian is like, you know, 
it's 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 so good in the its production values in its you know in its acting and all that kind of stuff so yeah looking forward to that one you're gonna see some familiar faces on the show some agents of shield actors oh okay i i did see oh <laughs> talk about familiar actors the only actor i did see that was familiar in this episode i think was um there was a guy that i've only ever seen in big bang theory <laughs> <laughs> which is uh yeah it was one guy in there but i have i i'll keep my eye out for agents of shield actors i won't and uh and uh thor ragnarok actors as well mm-hmm. and directors because Taika was in it, and I was like, "Hey, as Taika, that's that's great. I love that." Oh, his ep- the episode he directs is just fantastic. Yeah, I'm really looking forward to to going through it because that's episode eight, isn't it, of this first season that he directs? Yeah, and that's the other thing; it's really accessible because it's 30 minute episodes. It's not like you know 45 an hour long episodes. Um, it's just 45 minutes. Uh, it's 30 minutes. It's like you know enough happens. It's really well paced. But yeah, I'm gonna watch episode two, maybe a couple more after that. Like, I'm gonna watch them all, man. <laughs> season two just I started. I will, but uh, yeah, I think um, going back to the episode today, uh, we've we've basically just recently had Empire and uh, a few references to. Vulcan in the X-Men Empire tie-ins. What a better time to do our third episode. There's nearly six months yeah. since the last episode. It'll be good. <laughs> we get distracted. We do. And, and Empire and Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. did not help at all. I mean, Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. started up in May, which was when we wanted to do this uh, do this series. We'll start off with Rise and Fall of the Shi'ar Empire, which was um, Uncanny X-Men issues 475 to 486 as 12 issues long. The writer was Ed Brubacker. Pencils were Billy Tan. Inker was Danny Mickey. Lettering was Chris Eliopoulos. Editor was Nick Lau and Will Panzo. It's kind of bring you all back to the same point. We've been through kind of the end of Moot Mutant Kind in House of M and Wanda saying those immortal words. And then we had Deadly Genesis covering the origins of Vulcan. And now we have Rise and Fall of the Shi'ar Empire where the X-Men head into space and try and appeal to Vulcan's better nature. Which he doesn't have. Which he, do- which he doesn't have. And uh, <laughs> they, they, they want to stop him from taking over the universe and becoming the, the new king of space. And his first stop being the Shi'ar Empire. Whilst in space, the X-Men team encounter the Starjammers, led by Alex's dad, Corsair. They team up and the entire story becomes a family affair. Lovely. <laughs> Rachel develops feelings, inexplicable feelings, for a birdman named Corvus because, for some reason, they fall in love because of a psychic bond due to the Phoenix Force because, why not? Oh, because the Phoenix Force is connected to his big stupid anime sword, man. (laughs) You know, the... Speaking of which, the Blade of the Phoenix was in the promo material for Ten of Swords and we haven't seen it yet. Not that I'm complaining because I kind of prefer how it's turned from a bunch of sword fights into Calvin Ball. And I had to look up Calvin Ball, obviously, because I had no idea what Calvin and Hobbes was before this episode. So uh, You're too young. I'm, I'm sorry. <laughs> you need to get you caught up on Calvin and Hobbes. It's a classic. <laughs> I, I recognize Calvin and Hobbes now, but it was kind of like it wasn't like instantly come to mind. But I, I, I have to admit, I at this point in time, I have read two issues out of the 22 issues of X of Swords. I'm so behind. I'm so behind on every single comic book at this point. <laughs> 
this this podcast keeps me on track for all the humans based stuff but but the x-men stuff i haven't caught up with but apart from this but anyway back to the issue the um the end of the story shows the secret order play out a coup uh, against the shiar empress lalandra vulcan is on a quest to become the emperor fixes deken's brain uh, rebuilding the neural pathways with his weird powers uh, deken then suggests that vulcan marries his niece Vulcan gets engaged to Deathbird, who is Lalandra's sister, getting ever closer to becoming Emperor. Which is a weird turn of events, by the way, seeing as how he was going there just to kill them all. <laughs> yeah, it did. That it did take a turn. Plan. I mean, he, he goes there and, and now he falls in love. Ah, <laughs> uh. Which is just weird in itself, but we'll, we'll get to that in a minute. I mean, th- this this whole book plays out towards a wedding at the end of the series where Vulcan marries Deathbird and surprisingly or not, depending on your prior knowledge of the X-Men, Vulcan kills Deken. Deathbird then doesn't want to become Empress and never did. But, you know, Vulcan's got her. He, he'll be Emperor just for her. But yeah, he, he becomes Emperor of the Shi'ai. And uh, someone must have been reading Game of Thrones prior to this due to the fact that the Starjammers and the X-Men crashed the wedding of the century with Vulcan then killing his own father in the ensuing chaos. Yeah, the Red Wedding was so much worse. <laughs> this is only like two and some innocent bystanders. True. Yeah, I mean, I have seen the uh, the scene of the Red Wedding in on, on a YouTube video. I haven't watched Game of Thrones. I probably should. Oh. It sounds like something I'd kind of enjoy, but... the uh, Yeah, up until the end. <laughs> well, yeah, season eight, but yeah. I don't think anybody wants to talk about that, do they? No, no, we don't. <laughs> So uh, the end of this series kind of shows Alex and the remaining Starjammers head back into space, leading into the events of Emperor Vulcan. And uh, Hepzibah, Warpath, Nightcrawler and Professor X all end up back on Earth. Hepzibah is uh, one of those characters that was kind of stuck on Earth or from from this event to the end of Avengers vs. X-Men, I think. She joined a couple of X-Force teams in the the period between the two. Now... (sighs) This was kind of two stories here that made up Rise and Fall. And um, to me, and this is purely my opinion, they should have stayed as two stories, I think, because they kind of happen in parallel and you can, in my opinion, kind of read them in any order if you wanted to. I just don't like how it's done and I kind of struggle with the flip-flopping on books. And uh, New Mutants from Dawn of X is a real good example of doing that in, in, in recent memory for me. Uh, yeah, I don't know. Having two or more parallel stories is done in comics all the time. So it really didn't bother me. Like an example in Asgardian Wars, almost everybody has a parallel story until they meet up at the very end. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. I I, I don't know whether it's just me being me being me and being a contrarian all the time. But um, yeah, for this one, it just I, I think it was my reading preference more than anything. Once you break those stories apart, I think you get a couple of nice scenes with a couple of my really favourite kind of top characters, Lorna and Alex. Although their relationship always just feels like some kind of angsty teen romance. <laughs> it's <laughs> never straightforward of those two. But seeing them join the Star Jammers was pretty cool, even if they did leave Hepzibah behind. There wasn't enough Star Jammers in this for me. Don't tease me and just have the Star Jammers standing around in the background. 
I, I feel like um, I feel like you could almost get some kind of Guardians of the Galaxy esque stuff out of the Star Jammers. Yeah. I mean, that's basically what they are. They're like the, you know, the, the the, in my opinion, that there's there's the slightly cooler version that's of awesome. the Guardians. To be fair, yeah. You know, the thing was we we spoke about this before we started re- uh, recording the episode, and it was that they've only actually had ten specifically Star Jammer or twelve specifically Star Jammer issues. That's a real shame because they they do seem like a really cool team, even though the Cyclops miniseries from back in I think twenty fourteen ish, twenty fifteen ish for for the young Cyclops was a pretty cool cool book apparently. But with with kind of much of this story originating from the House of M and Secret Invasion storylines, I really like the scrolls, even if they did get a, a tiny feature, that was a really nice touch to include them in there. Much of this story for me is slightly disjointed and it's it's largely because of the two stories jammed together and then they meet at the end. Personally, and again, feel free to disagree. It's just like I'm not sure why Marvel at the time didn't release two kind of converging books. I found that I wasn't really as invested in either story early on. So, because because you got that flip flop between them. Uh, yeah, I don't know. I think a, a series that's just Vulcan being a jerk would be kind of a hard sell. <laughs> true. Yeah, that is very true. <laughs> And yeah, I think uh, I, I think it is more me than anything. Uh, you, you can call me out; it's fine. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I I find that this book didn't really add an awful lot. I feel like the star jammer star jammers were really used for like a bit of Deus Ex Machina in there to kind of put, and then they ultimately put Alex and Lorna on that team. And Xavier obviously never learns anything at all ever, and uh, Vulcan basically becomes <laughs> the king ever. of space. <laughs> Let's be honest; he, ne- he never learns. I feel like the Star Jammers were only brought in so that Corsair could get killed. Yeah, and that that kind of that kind of bugged me as well because he he was killed at the end of this, and then he was brought back specifically for the Cyclops storyline. Yeah. And uh, and and they, I, I like what they did with that from from what I've read. I haven't actually read that issue, uh, read that series yet. You know, if by sounds of it, it's quite cool. I think overall this book kind of had fifty percent of it being quite cool, and then the other half was just kind of a bit of filler, a bit of exposition, just not overly great okay so on on the writing of it i think i've been looking at this book through rose tinted specs for about the last two years because <laughs> so i used to kind of uh rant and rave about it i used to be you know really into it but um kind of on reread there's far too many issues with it i don't think i ever really thought about those issues on that original reading so i'm going to go for a couple of those so firstly the way that xavier uses rachel as some kind of communication puppet thing linking up has some really weird connotations and um you know rachel even mentions it in the book and i just find it's weird and she says it feels intrusive and it totally is and i'm kind of really glad that xavier gets called out for his crap on that one at this point why is charles even hanging around other than the fact that it's his house I think that's literally it. It's I, just the fact that it's his house. <laughs> yeah. I got, like, I'm trying to make up for what I did wrong by putting my students in harm's way again. And I did appreciate Scott's reaction when it comes to Darwin. No. You, you, know, you already like ruined his life before. Can you please leave Darwin out of this? I, I really wish that, that he didn't have like some sort of weird obsession with Darwin. Because like... <laughs> After after uh, Deadly Genesis and now this, it's just like, come on, really? You're going to use him again? The, the guy cannot catch a break. <laughs> he really can't. Between, between comic books and TV, it's just like, 
he's just never going to get a break. And not TV. Between and comic moment. books and movie, he's never going to catch a break at all. Yeah, I mean, we last saw Darwin in the current comic books going into the vault with uh, yep. with Laura, and mm-hmm. which is which is going to be um, which is going to be a, a plot point moving forward from previews. Just to bring that up, and they're on a cover. They are. They are going. Uh, I don't know whether they're going into the vault or coming out of the vault. I can't remember off the top of my head. Oh no, no one knows. I'm, my uh, guess will be it's them going into the vault and what's happened to them in the vault. Yeah, because of course the vault time is very different and. We don't quite know how much time is going to have passed between them going in and them coming out. So, going back to Vulcan, this book really doesn't do anything to make him a sympathetic character when he really had the potential to be. There, there's no not not one little hint of humanity in there anymore. No, and it's kind of like I, f- I feel like Marvel were trying to set up this huge, big supervillain, and in in some ways, it kind of just turned out to be you know it just felt like some sort of you know teenage plan become supervillain sort of thing. It's just it's not. I, I don't think it's particularly well done. Uh, yeah, I I, I think yeah. Vulcan is one of those characters. I actually think that Hickman has definitely improved him. You won't hear me say that too often, but it, the Vulcan in the X Men books is a much more complex character now that you've had that backstory explained and i think that in this one they were just setting him up to be some sort of real big huge villain that was just lost all of his humanity well he doesn't have much humanity now in the xbox either he's a evil m&m with a crunchy shell of goodness on the outside and nothing but evil on the inside but it's but it's a little bit it's just that little it's, sugary goodness on the outside it's a, it's, it's it's enough <laughs> <laughs> in in this book he's just like he's just like no i'm gonna i'm gonna go and i'm gonna go and become the king of space <laughs> even as even you know, scott's like screw it i'm not chasing that asshole i'm gonna go upstairs and eat from a bowl <laughs> yeah i have to admit scott's scott's response was the best out of this whole thing <laughs> staying with rachel let's, let's talk about rachel for a second hers and corvus's relationship that seems to come out of nowhere. And I, I appreciate they're kind of linked by the Phoenix somehow. Really? This is like a classic example of that awful bad guy gets the good trope that you see all over the place and it's weird and just stop. Stop doing that. Well, was he bad though? Or just there are just had opposing goals at the beginning? Yeah, I think it definitely it had a really wasn't goals, into but... being a tool of the Shi'ar. I, I just find it came out of absolutely nowhere. It's just like, for some crappy reason. I just, you know, the, the whole, we have a psychic bond, so we're in love automatically made no sense to me. Because people have weird stuff in their head. And this is why I've never done any kind of drugs ever. I know there's weird shit up in there that needs to stay in its cage. Nobody needs access to that. Not even me. <laughs> that's that's pretty deep. That's that's that's, that's yeah. deep. I mean, that's that's as bad as it sounds. That's why I don't drink or you know do anything like that either. Because yeah, exactly the same reasons. <laughs> yeah, there 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 was some issue with Jean Grey too, where somebody was concerned about her being in their head, and she's like. Don't worry about it. You can't, you can't believe what I've seen. <laughs> it's just what? 
Oh god, I, I would I would hate that. I would hate if if telepaths were real. That would be awful. I just oh, horrible. Uh, and the romantic dialogue is so bad and cheesy. You don't make any sense. <laughs> it's just, it's just. Bad. At least the other X Men are like, what? Like us, you know this is it. messed up, right? <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, the, the, that entire relationship came out of nowhere and then hit like a hit like a train, and it was just like, oh god. It, I think it's honestly the worst of all of Rachel's nonsensical relationships. <laughs> this is the only one I really. I, I mean, I'm not. I'm not a huge fan of of Rachel, to be honest with you. I'm, I've not really followed her particularly, and I think this is one of the only ones I actually know of. <laughs> and yes, I I completely agree. From what I've read, just from this book, it it was a stupid relationship. <laughs> Who else did she? Uh, who else did she had relationships with? Oh, she had one with Nightcrawler, which was just another weird and gross one because he was basically like her uncle in the future. Yeah, and a priest. Yeah, I've heard about that one. Yep. And then there was what's his name when she was in Excalibur. Personally, I like her with Kitty. Yeah. I think I think a lot of people do, and that was wasn't that like Claremont's original intention? Yes, yeah, she was supposed to be the love of Kitty's life. Yeah, it, it would have been pretty cool because, you know, obviously they both come from the same, or at least Kitty was in, you know, in, involved in that same dystopian future, and that would have been a nice way to, to kind of bring it full circle. Yeah, there, there's a little hint of it when she got resurrected, so we'll see. We keep going off on tangents, but yeah, <laughs> let's talk about this book. So this this book kind of leads on to Emperor Vulcan, and I almost feel like this is more kind of trying to cram this relatively new character into mainstream Marvel by giving him this new and massive cosmic story by writing just loads of stories about him. Yeah. And I don't think that works very well. I think you're it, it it's it's the complaint of you're just putting him into the forefront and too much too quickly basically well they've i think part of the problem is they really didn't develop his character at all he is pretty much a one-note villain and that's my issue with it because you've got all of these books deadly genesis rise and fall uh, emperor vulcan and it's just just about him being the worst person you could ever imagine there's no like actual development it's it's just a bit frustrating really I feel like I've had my own personal character growth <laughs> because this is one of those books I used to rant and rave about. As I as I mentioned before, I used to love this book. And I think it was probably because it was the first ever cosmic book I read. You know, it kind of bums me out a little bit because of how I used to wax lyrical about it and how I liked it. But now I'm just like, no, I think I'm, I think I'm fine without it. I think, uh, I think I can go through life and not read this book again. <laughs> And one thing I do want to bring up too is this does a pretty bad job passing the Bechtel test. We've got Polaris and Rachel on the same team. And it seems like the only thing they ever talk about is Corvus. Yeah, so do you wanna do you wanna explain the Bechtel test just uh, briefly for our listeners? Okay, so briefly, 
the Bechdel test is, does your story have two or more female characters? Do they have names? And do they talk to each other about anything other than a man? So first part of that, yep. We got names. (laughs) All right. Second part of that, no. Not so much. Not so much. Lalandra seems seemed to me to be more of a damsel in distress in this story. And Lalandra seemed to be more of a damsel in distress in this story to me. You're the empress. Do your job. She just kind of seemed to be along for the ride, you know. That's that's it. Be in that's charge. You're an empress. You know, it was like all of this stuff was going on around her, and it was kind of like, well, what can we do? Oh, we can't do anything. Oh, oh, poor us. And it's not uh, like until the uh. end of like the end of the series where anything really happens with her loyal kind of Shia, and she's just like she's just there. She's not really leading. Yeah. She leaves it all to she leaves it all to that other guy. It's like yeah. <laughs> But pissed off Hepzibah, though. Five stars. And the fact that she got left on Earth at the end of it, I was so yeah. like, oh, oh, come on. You know, come on, let her, let her rampage. But it was, uh, it was like I said, though, she gets to uh, she gets to join an X-Force team, Wolverine's X-Force yeah. team, so that's, that's always good. That's always good. Just don't call her a cat lady. She's a skunk lady, okay? Yeah. So let's talk about, talk about the art on this, this series. I thought it was generally okay. I think the pencils and inks are fairly good, if not a bit stereotypical for the 2000s. The colors are nice. The colors are good. The colors are good, absolutely. But I feel like the actual, like the the pencils and the inks are, they kind of have a very similar feel to what I remember of Ultimate X-Men, which is another series that I'm kind of looking at at it on my shelf and thinking, why did I buy that? But I've never been a fan of Rachel in that suit and the short, you know, with the short hair, she looks a lot like Jean Grey from the Ultimate series. And it's kind of not my favorite. But what I do like is the fact that everybody does look relatively unique. Warpath has like his Native American features. Xavier looks like the bold white man that he is. And the ladies all look like they're different people. You know, the 2000s had one particular artist that was heavily featured on the majority of X books. And I'm glad he wasn't put on this one. But whilst everyone looks fairly unique facially, I'm not sure Billy Tan has a really good grasp on human anatomy. <laughs> a lot of people look like they should have died of some sort of internal structural issue in this uh, in this series. And whether or not it's because it's like a, the early days of digital art, but everything feels quite static. It doesn't feel like there's like much movement about things. And um, we often comment that some books look like you could easily... It could easily become a movie and it's like a movie playing out in your head. But unfortunately, this book does not lend itself to that. (laughs) So overall, as we're kind of reviewing this as a part of our War of Kings epic review, I would like to recommend it as as a part of that reading if you're, you know, reading for the backstory. But if you're not reading the hardcover, the War of Kings hardcover, and you just have the War of Kings trade, then this is an easy miss. Uh, The key bits of this story are in the Vulcan parts, I think, and the issues revolving around the coup with the Shi'ar hierarchy. Because of that... I'm going to rate this one two and a half stars out of five Lockheeds. So the next part of the episode, we're going to be talking about Emperor Vulcan. 
Do you want to take us through this one, Lynn? All right. The writer is Christopher Yost. The artist is Paco Diaz-Luque. The inker is Vicente Cifuentes. Colorists are Brian Reber and Chris Sotomayor. Letterer Joe Caramagna. Editor Nick Lowe. In the aftermath of Rise and Fall of the Shi'ar Empire, the X-Men, Starjammers, and Rebel Shi'ar loyal to Lalandra team up to dethrone the newly crowned Emperor Vulcan. Meanwhile, an alien race named the Siar Tal arrive claiming that the Shi'ar stole the McCran crystal from them and they've come to take it back. After the Shi'ar literally drop a star on the Shi'ar planet of Feather's Edge, Vulcan and the X-Men are forced to call a timeout and team up to destroy the Siar Tal's doomsday weapon. Naturally, Vulcan betrays them and uses the Siar's weapon against them instead of negotiating, an act that finally wins him the love and loyalty of the Shi'ar and unites the Empire under his rule. Lalandra's own uncle sides with Vulcan, but allows her to escape while the X-Men and Starjammers are now Vulcan's prisoners. The series ends with an epilogue that jumps back in time 13,000 years, where the Siar Tal find the McCran crystal, and they prepare to destroy the unnamed species currently in possession of it, just as the Shi'ar will do to them. Some kind of irony in that ending bit. <laughs> Yeah, the uh, McCran crystal is pretty much the apple of discord of space. I, I really felt this was a throwaway story. It has no real impact on War of Kings whatsoever. Honestly, they could have had the X-Men captured by Vulcan at the end of Rise and Fall of the Shi'ar Empire and just let the story out. Yeah, I, I think um, I think from my point of view, I, I totally agree with you on the, the filler. It's just so much. Now I've reread this a few times since we uh, since we sort of planned this episode, and every time I get to like issue three of every single reread, there's nothing that's really progressed for me at the end of issue three. You get to the point where they drop a sun on the Shi'ar planet, which is like the coolest <laughs> thing that happens in this entire book, and uh, and then like issue three was just huge exposition in itself, and I, I think what bugs me is the fact that Christopher Yost is is one of my favorite like X Force writers, but this was just not good. For a story called Emperor Vulcan, there wasn't a lot of Vulcan in it either. No, no. I you know going in, I saw the title, I'm like, oh okay, this is going to be more about Vulcan. No, no, nope. it was about <laughs> this random uh, race of aliens that nobody's seen before, but now. You know, they're all to do with the Emkron, and their the, the, the original name of their race was Emkron. And it's like, okay, fair enough. You know, I think humans are really behind in apostrophe technology. <laughs> we are lagging yeah. the entire universe in apostrophes. Oh, there's so many apostrophes in space. So <laughs> many. But, you know... In these stories, I don't think enough is made of the fact that even though Vulcan looks like an adult, emotionally, he's a traumatized 15-year-old with way too much power, which makes it very easy for Deathbird to manipulate him with her feminine wiles. Yeah, that, that, entire, that entire relationship is just messed up. <laughs> and, and also... Does like, she even know he's alive right now? I don't know. I mean, that's a good point. She showed up in New Mutants, but nobody said, hey, by the way, your husband's hanging out on Krakoa. And and talking about like um, the fact that Vulcan is there and, and the Sayatal 
meet up with Alex at some point. We, we need to discuss the fact that the Sayatel want to fight literally everyone just because they don't believe Alex is being truthful about his brother. Like they they seem to have the necessary psychic ability to kind of share their past, but does that not seem a bit silly to not like check or at least project <laughs> the kind of stuff that's been going on in Alex's mind? <laughs> it just seems yeah. I don't know, it, it it didn't seem completely well thought maybe, out. Maybe they can only send they can send to aliens, not receive. <laughs> and wow, are the Shi'ar colonizer jerks. And they like being led by a jerk. <laughs> yeah, Dickhead was too much of a jerk. Lalandra was too little of a jerk. But Vulcan is just the right amount. <laughs> he's, just, he's just like a cozy amount of evil. <laughs> he's, he's the Goldilocks mm. amount of evil. <laughs> <laughs> I know I'm kind of jumping around a little bit, but um, does, does anyone know how Lorna, Lorna's powers work? Because, like, when Lorna goes up against Vulcan's Shi'ar, or it's the Sayatau, hers and Magneto's power also gives them the ability to control, like, electromagnetism. It's not just about something just being metal. That that bugs me somewhat, because she goes, oh, I can't control it, it's not made of metal. But if something is flying through space, it's got to be generating (laughs) some sort of electromagnetism, potentially, if it's got, like, a motor or whatever in it. But I don't know. And the other thing was... You know, Lorna Polaris going eek in issue three pissed me off a lot. I was just like, come on. She's so powerful. Yeah. Don't give her an eek. Yeah. Eek. And I feel everybody could be a little more understanding about how pissed off Rachel is. Yeah. When faced with the Shi'ar, her whole family was murdered in front of her. Don't tell her to calm down. I, I think my favorite bit about this series was Rachel just going ape shit. <laughs> she absolutely deserved to lay down some shit because if you've gone through that, you're going to want a little bit of revenge on them. Yeah. And back to Lilandra, she's still kind of a damsel in distress in this one. And very tone deaf when it comes to the CR Tal's complaints. Yeah. You know, both these species have religions that center around the crystal <laughs> yeah i mean that in itself is quite a, an interesting development and I, I would have liked that to be you know explored further but yeah smart alec chad was the only bright spot in this for me i just want more star jammers <laughs> i do too and i'm gonna go back and like try and pick up all of the star jammers books because there's just not enough of them <laughs> and i just want to read all of the all of their appearances and uh, Marvel Unlimited will be good for that. Looking at the art, I wasn't so keen on the people, but the architecture was very well done. And the coloring just elevated it. Yeah, yeah. And uh, I, I absolutely agree with that. There's some panels where I'm just thinking these people look very messed up. <laughs> I wasn't keen on the the people at all. But yeah, I agree with what you said about the aliens and the architecture and stuff. It feels like... The artist Paco Diaz Lukwe, apologize for butchering that, is probably much better at drawing kind of cityscapes and that kind of stuff than he is drawing uh, people. I think I've mentioned it before, but Corvus just looking like a space wolverine. Is it intentional or is it, you know? (laughs) I I think it's just the feathers. (laughs) The gross, gross feathers. (sighs) (laughs) 
I don't understand the attraction to Shi'ar people. I, I don't either. They're just bird people, and it's like, what yeah. is, what is so good about bird people? But something to consider after having read this. The one thing that stuck out to me was the McCran crystal. It is pretty old. Somebody made it, and we don't know who, because it was so long ago. Could it be original species long ago? <laughs> I see where you're going with this. Yeah? Is the yeah. first war that the Watcher is hinting about going to resolve the mystery of the origin of the McCran crystal? I would I would hope so because that would be the coolest like deep dive uh, for me because it kind of links you know you've got Al Ewing on Shield you've got Hickman on yeah. uh, X Men at the moment and you've got Vulcan there and discussing how he got out of uh, out of the fault at the end of uh, War, yeah. Realm of Kings War of Kings and I, I would like that and I would I would love to see that because the you know the X Men are going to be involved in that story. Yes, absolutely. So this one, I, I gave it a three out of five Lockheeds. Yeah, you I really agree don't even one. need it to understand the rest of War of Kings as backstory. This is a, a side story. Except for the fact that this is where you see the X-Men there in space get captured by Vulcan. And then we have a brief tie-in to War of Kings in X-Men Divided We Stand, issue number two. The writer was Andy Schmidt. The art by the incomparable Fraser Irving. Letterer Joe Caramagna. And cover by Brandon Peterson. This issue has an eight-page tie-in to the War of Kings story that catches up with our heroes in the Shi'ar dungeons where they're being physically and mentally tortured. Vulcan gets havoc caught up on all the horrible stuff that happened during Messiah Complex, thinking that the loss of the first mutant baby born after M-Day and death of Professor X will finally break him. It has the opposite effect. The news of baby hope gives Havoc the will to break out of captivity. And it's on. This was a gorgeous and well-written issue. I'm sad that this team wasn't on the previous book. Because Fraser Irving is the greatest. He absolutely is. Uh, <laughs> yeah, he's, uh, he's, he's a really super cool guy in real life as well. I've mentioned before the way that he uh, that we, I've caught up with him at like MCM and that kind of stuff, and I, I love the fact that Alex was kind of like um, really like it, it, you know gave him the resolve to kind of break free out of captivity mm -hmm. and, uh, and and basically take on Vulcan again. And with that breaking out the giant omnibus, we get into the main War of Kings story. Yay! <laughs> Finally. Yay. Next time we won't wait six months before doing the next episode. Yeah, I mean, this is kind of like the core. This is the core in human stuff now. This is where it gets, yeah. in my opinion, really good. You've got Dan Abnett on it. You've got, you know, an Andy Lanning. And, Andy Lanning. Oh, it's just, it's, it's, it's such a good story. And uh, I can't wait to start reviewing this one. So next, next few episodes of our War of King epic review will be the uh, core saga now featuring, you know, the Black Bolt and the, the rest of the Inhuman Royal family. Hope you join us for that. Thank you for listening and we'll catch you next episode.